This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I'm jumping right into the word of God. If you guys have been with us on this journey of studying the word, here at Commission, we worship God through praise, through singing. What an amazing time of worship, right? Amen? Can you say amen to that? Yeah, it was an amazing time just worshiping God in spirit and truth. So we worship God through praise and singing. We also worship God through our giving, and we also worship God through listening to the word and and studying the word and, and, and receiving the word that God has in store for us. As a church, we follow an expository study, a way of study here at our church where uh, we, we pick a book of the Bible sometimes and we study the, the Bible in its, in its entirety. We break down verse by verse. And right now, as of this very moment, we are in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the first letter that Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica is a letter that we have been studying and seeing how it applies to our personal lives, how it applies to our church, how it applies to us as a body of Christ as a whole. And this has been encouraging to us. And it's been a journey that we have been on where God has been speaking to us about our personal evangelism. It's, uh, God has been speaking to us about uh, our evangelism efforts as a church. Uh, and all in all, I feel like God has been moving in our hearts in the direction that we are supposed to head into in this new season that God has put in front of us. All right? So uh, we, we, we've titled this sermon series Upside Down. And like I say every Sunday, the reason we title this Upside Down is because of the verse in Acts chapter 17, where Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy have walked into this, this place called, the city called Thessalonica, and people see them coming, and they have heard of the exploits and the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the mighty things that God has been doing in all the cities that these guys have just been to. Amen? Like Christians need to make a ripple effect or create a ripple effect or create commotion in a good way wherever they go to. Like wherever God places them and puts them, you need to know that God has put you there for a purpose. And anywhere Paul and Timothy went, they made sure that the presence of God, the power of God, and the Holy Spirit moved in a powerful way. There were healings that happened. The the people that were afflicted were set free. People that were oppressed and depressed got healing in different ways. People were baptized. People were added to the church. People came to know of Jesus Christ. And people in Thessalonica heard about this, the religious sect, and they were like, man, these guys are going to turn our world upside down. Exactly the words that they used. And, and, and here is Paul and Silas walking into Thessalonica saying, uh, y'all better be ready. Because we are here to turn your world upside down. We've been in the study to understand the mind behind the apostles as to how you and I are tasked by God or given the ability to walk into our Thessalonicas, to walk into the worlds that God has put us in. It could be our jobs, it could be our finances, it could be our children, it could be our marriage, our relationships, it could be our careers, it could be our business, it could be anything. Wherever God has placed us in, to understand, A, that God has a purpose in placing us there, and B, that we, that, that we have to live out that purpose in making sure that we bear fruits for the kingdom of God. Are you making sure that you are being the hands and feet of Jesus in every place that God is putting you in? So right now, we're in the second uh, chapter 
of the first letter to the Thessalonians. And last week, we ended at verse number 13. If you have your Bibles with you, can you how many of y'all actually carry your Bibles with you? Let me see your Bibles. Wave it in the air like you don't care. Yeah, I see those iPhones, those screens, those Android phones. Uh, no, just kidding. I see all your, your Bible devices, right? Whatever devices you have, go ahead and take it out. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's perfectly okay. If you need a Bible, come and tell us, and we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Here at Commission, we, we kind of, I follow uh, the teaching uh, by, uh, through the ESV or the English Standard Version, uh, but you're free to follow in whatever version you have. Uh, the verses that are going to be shown up there to help you study this morning is from the English Standard Version again. Uh, but I encourage you to bring a notepad or a, a journal with you. Take down notes as we go through this study because this is going to be life-changing for you as a Christian. Now, we ended at verse number 13, and I'm not going to recap last week, last week, but I'm going to begin at verse 13 again just to kind of do a backdrop of what we're talking about in verse number 14. This is what the Bible says. And we also thank God constantly for this. For what? It continues, comma, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Verse 14, this is where we begin today. For you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with deep desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Would you pray with me? Father, would you speak to us through your word today? I pray, God, that your word will come alive to us. Father, I pray, God, that each and every person here will be challenged by this word this morning, that this word will come as an eye-opener for us, that we will be uh, enlightened, that our eyes will be opened, that our heart will be opened, that we will receive from you your word that is dear to our hearts. Would you speak to us? I pray that your presence will be in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Convict us, fill every empty, vacant hole in our hearts with the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. In verse number 13, the sign that they had heard the word, received it, and accepted it, was that the Bible says they started doing, it started doing a work inside of them. The true mark of a Christian or the true mark of a believer is that a believer and a Christian knows when to take the word of God and apply it not only to his life, but make sure he lives out his faith in action. How many of us make sure that we live out our faith in action? In verse number 13, Paul is encouraged and he is excited even though he has been plucked away from the church in Thessalonica. 
For those of you who don't know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was sent to Thessalonica. He was there for three weeks, is what the Bible says, or at least we know he was there for three weeks. And because of certain circumstances, because of persecution, because people didn't want them there, right? Paul was plucked away, is what the Bible says. He was, he, he was detached. He was taken away, and he had to flee from Thessalonica for the fear of his life for, because people were threatening to kill him. Paul, knowing that he had a lot of missions ahead of him, said, you know what, I'm departing right now, but I know I have instilled within you, within this three weeks, strength and hope and love and joy and mercy. They had heard about Jesus way before his arrival, but what he had come there to do was to convince the Jews, the religious heretics of that day, that there was a Jesus that saves, and that Jesus is the only hope for tomorrow. So they had accepted the word. In verse number 14, we are introduced to this, this verse where he says, For you brothers became, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Why? Because you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did for the Jews. I want to leave one word with you this morning or one phrase with you this morning. Model Christianity is mirrored. Model Christianity is mirrored. What do I mean by that? right? Observed character is often molded, modeled character. Observed character is often modeled character. You know, children are a replica of their parents. Uh, how much ever you want to deny that, you know that it's true. Uh, children always learn from the parents. It's the old adage that says the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? It's, it's always the case where you'll always see one of the children at least take after one of the parents because they observe. They're keen observers. They watch how parents interact. They watch how people talk to one another. The other day, we were, uh, Sonia and I, we were talking and uh, we have some, uh, we have some discussions discussions that are very heated spiritual moments is what I call it and we had one in the car the other day and as we were having that intense spiritual moment um, uh, you know I, I actually looked I, I saw my daughter uh, looking at me from the back and I actually looked and I looked at Sonia and said hey I'm sorry for what I just said and I saw my daughter as soon as I said hey I'm sorry for what I just said I saw my daughter intently looking at me from the from the rear view mirror I tried not to maintain eye contact with her but the more I, I, I saw I just couldn't bear it and I looked back and I said hey Michaela what you looking at and she just looked at me, stared at me, and she said, nothing. But I knew in her heart she was keenly listening to what exactly I was saying. If you have children in your home that have a hard time saying sorry, it's probably because they're learning it from adults that have a hard time saying <laughs> They're watching the way the husband talks to the wife. They're watching the way the father treats the mother. They're watching the way the mother treats the father. It's a, it's a cycle. They're constantly looking for places. They're constantly looking for, for, for places in which they can learn and glean. They're looking at how much you love one another. They're looking at how much you care for one another. Children are constantly learning. You know, parents, haven't you caught yourself being frustrated with your child? Like last week, I was frustrated with my younger one, not Michaela, but I was frustrated with my younger one, my two-year-old. She thinks she's the diva. She runs everything in the house. And I was super frustrated with her. And, 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 and I, I, you know, I won't tell you what she did, but I, I remember I was expressing my frustration aloud. And I say, why do you do that, Rizzy? We call her, her, her name is Carissa, but we call her Rizzy. And I was like, why do you do that, Rizzy? I wonder where you learned that from. And I heard my wife snickering at the back, right, and coughing my name out. <laughs> and, 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 and Sonia said, from 
you, right? And I was like, whatever. But I, I stopped and thought about it, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's true. That's me. That's all me all over the place. She probably learns from me. Observed character is often modeled character. And Paul is saying that you have to be imitators of, of these churches that you're looking at and, and what they're doing. How do they imitate them? It wasn't the way they preached or the way they clothed or uh, the way they did their worship set or how many songs they sang or what were their social media posts or how they carried themselves. It was none of that. It wasn't any imitation of that sort, right? It was not doing what everybody else is doing, but they imitated the way they handled themselves when calamity struck. When they went through hard times, they learned from the other churches around them. They watched the churches in Judea handle themselves when persecution hit. They saw the churches standing their ground. When people said, we're going to chop your heads off, they said, go ahead and chop it. We're going to stand our ground. When they looked at them and said, denounce Jesus, they said, nope, you can do whatever you want. You can put us in prison. You can saw us in half. You can do whatever you want to do, but we are going to stand our ground. And this infant church in Thessalonica all this while was looking and watching intently as to what this church in Judea was doing. Do you know how you handle your persecutions? How you handle the things that you go through in your life? The, 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 the hard times in your life? Uh, people are actually watching that? The way Christians handle calamity is something that people are intently watching? When bad things go on in your life, how you handle that in the presence of God. People are actually interested to see how you handle certain things in the presence of God. It's important to make sure that you don't just praise Jesus in your hard times. You praise Jesus in your good times. You praise Jesus when things go bad. And here is this church that's modeling it for the Christians and the believers and saying, here, here, here we are. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. We're not here to just praise Jesus in the good times. This last week, I saw this post from, from a friend of mine. He, he lives in McKinney. Uh, he was sharing a post from his friend that goes to his church. His son had gone missing. And uh, he was, there was this widespread search all around. His name was Ethan. There's this widespread search all around McKinney in the Fort Worth area for him because they, 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 they learned that he went to the Fort Worth area. So they were looking everywhere, couldn't find him. Um, they, they put out social media posts. And one of the posts that, that, that was shared that I read was from the father of this, this young man that he posted and said, hey, we've, we've lost him for these many hours right now and we're fearing for the worst because he's left his wallet. We've, he's left his, uh, his phone. He's left everything and he's left home so we're fearing for the worst right now and he put another sentence after that and he said no matter what happens good or bad no matter what news I hear I will still worship Jesus and Jesus is still on the throne and no matter what happens God will get all the praise would you please pray with me I was so encouraged when I heard that Christians sometimes tend to run away from calamity. They tend to shy away from hard times. But here was a church looking at another church that was handling themselves in calamity, embracing calamity, and saying, you know what? No matter what oppression, no matter what sadness, no matter what we have to face, it's okay. Because if God is on our side, who can be against us? And they were modeling this other church through the calamity, this period of calamity that they were going through. Who is learning from the calamity that you're going through in your life? What character are we showing through the painful situations that we go through in our life? 
Who is benefiting and who is knowing about Jesus through the pain that you are going through in your life? Because every time I'm reminded about the gospel, the gospel message is just not a message about hope. It's also a message about pain. Until there was a cross, there would not have been a Pentecost. There's always an olive that has to go through a pressing in order for that oil to flow right out. There is grace and there is love and there is mercy and there is happiness and there is joy and there is all of that stuff is there. But behind that, the Christian, the seasoned Christian knows that you and I have to go through periods of trials and testing. And those are the times that people around us are keenly watching. Not the times that you pose in front of your brand new car and say, hashtag blessed. Now when you have that brand new promotion and saying, hashtag blessed, I'm not worthy. Come on, somebody. Am I talking to somebody here? But when I'm going through pain and when I've lost a child and when nobody knows what I'm going through and when everything around me tells me to give up on God and curse God and die, Job will tell you calamity will bring the best or the worst out of the Christian. And my question is, what does calamity bring out of you? Do people around you look at you and say, you know what? Wow, he handled that so well. The way he lived through that was amazing. People will look at you and say, what is the point of this? But Job can say, even my wife may come up to me and tell me to curse God and die. But only I have seen the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the love of Jesus. And I cannot help but stand my ground and still trust and still hope and still hold on to the promises of God. Because his promises are a yes and an amen. Can I hear an amen this morning? A seasoned Christian knows I've been through it. I've been through it. No matter what somebody wants to tell me, it doesn't matter. Three years ago, I was dying. I was on the deathbed. I was in the hospital ER, and people thought I was done with. I was done, and I was, you know what? But God was there for me. Don't, don't you? Haven't you been through those but God moments? I pray that your calamity will teach somebody else to hold on to Jesus. That your pain will hold on to Jesus. Like, like what you're going through and, and, and watching you just holding on to Jesus. Somebody will be encouraged and somebody will meet Jesus through your testimony and through what you're going through in your life. What a testimony, y'all. For one church to look at another church and say, man, I saw how y'all went through hard times. Y'all prayed through it. Y'all didn't bail. Y'all didn't walk out. Y'all stuck together. Y'all stood your ground. That marriage that some of y'all are fighting for, husbands and wives, don't bail. Don't run away. When times get tough, you invest a little more in there. Stand a little more and say, hey, we're going to pray through this. We're going to fast through this. Let your children learn how you fast and pray through the stuff that you go through in your marriage. No matter how much you fight, no matter how much you disagree, let your children know that you have the ability to still come together, join hands in prayer and say, hey, this is a spiritual attack. This is spiritual warfare. Let's get through this and let the whole world see how you handle your pain. You just lost your job? No, don't go on social media and blast your boss on there. Come on, somebody. Look at Jesus and say, you're still on the throne and you're still loving and you're still kind and you still love me Jesus it doesn't matter let your testimony of how you go through pain lead somebody to Jesus hmm. because if I was someone who handled criticism or negativity or calamity well my children will observe it and I, I, I will see them doing the same at some point 
I would be a proud father if I see my children going on their knees and praying when something happens to them. This last week, my, 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 my daughter, my five-year-old daughter wasn't feeling too well. She was congested, all these allergies and all this pollen in the air. She was really congested, and it, it broke my heart. Sonny and I were just watching her. Five years old, she was standing, and she was praying, God, would you heal me? Jesus, would you heal me? I know you can do it. I know, you, you heard that yesterday? She said, I know you can do it, God. I know you can do it. Five years old, y'all, and my heart broke. Because a five-year-old, a, a little one can pray and say, Jesus, I trust you and I can believe in you because, because you are a healer and you're a good, good father. Because you know what that is? Long-suffering on full display. The fruit of the Spirit on full display. What are you modeling for people around you? As a believer, as a Christian, are people seeing that Jesus coming from inside you? Is the fruit of the Spirit on full display? Are you bearing that fruit? And is that visible to people around you? Some of you are like, oh no, it's, it's somewhere deep inside. I don't want the whole world to see it, Brother Rosh. No, 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 no. That's what fruit does. It's not inside the tree. It's outside so everyone can see it. Stop hiding it. So, so many of us get defensive. Oh, my fruit is not for anybody else to see. That's between me and God. No, it's not. That's never the way it was meant to be. Your fruit is not between you and God. The fruit of the Spirit was put inside of you so that other Christians and other believers and other people around you, your husband should see that every day. Your wife should see that every day. Your kids should see that every day. The people you worked with should see that every day. People that want to give up on life should see the, the intensity with which you pursue God in your life and let them see that example that you are setting. Are you putting long-suffering on full display today? It could be anger. Do you have a tap on anger? You know, I was at a wedding once, and they had the, uh, you know, they play that game where uh, everyone gets on the dance floor, and uh, all the couples get on the dance floor, and, and they start, like, sending people off the dance floor based on how long they've been, like, married and stuff like that, and eventually there's one person or one couple standing, and that's the couple that has been married for, like, 50 years or 60 years or whatever it is, and they take the mic to them, and it's like, what advice do you have to share with the newly married couple? So the man took the mic and he said, every time, what's worked for me is this. He said, every time that I saw there was a conversation that was turning into an argument, I would go and I would pour myself a glass of water. I would pour it in my mouth. I would swish it around my mouth and I would just keep it there. He said, it works wonders. He told the couple, just do it. It works wonders. And he just left it there. And everyone was like, what? Like, Put some water in your mouth and just swish it around. What does that mean? So the groom was like, he spoke, the, the silence was broken. The groom was like, what does that do? So the man jumps in. He said, it works wonders. Everyone was, you know, was wondering what, what wonders it's going to work. So, so, so the old man looks at everyone and says, you know, the water itself doesn't do anything. You'll find that it's, you'll find that it's keeping your mouth shut that does the trick. Right? He's like, this has worked for me. Every single time. This is the first time my wife is hearing about this on this dance floor. Do you practice the fruit of the Spirit? Now, I'm not telling you to go and do the same thing at home, please. I'm going to have some mean emails from some wives this week. But do you practice the fruit of the Spirit for others to model? Or do you see yourself as an instigator or a uniter? Is that what you see in your life? What, what is it? What fruit of the Spirit comes out of you, right? Judea was a region in which Christians had suffered most severely. 
The church in Thessalonica watched their brothers in Judea and they were persecuted, but they, they, they stayed strong. The Thessalonians were oppressed because they were hindered from speaking to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were people that were not the Jews. That the Jews felt like they did not belong or the gospel was not for them or God, they were not God's children and, and they were the only one that was going, ones that were going to heaven. They were the only ones that were guaranteed eternity and, and, and Paul was trying to explain to these Jews that were so religious and saying, man, the Gentiles and everybody, the Jews, the Gentiles, they're all equal before the, the presence of God. And because of that, the church of Thessalonica was suffering because they were accepting of all men. And you know who was persecuting them? Their own countrymen. Those who knew them best had persecuted, you know, persecuted them. And, and, and they were in the, in the worst possible situation. Isn't that the sad reality? It's the truth, right? We often face hurtful and damaging opposition from those whom we never expect. It's the people that are closest to us that hurt us the most. How do you handle yourself when that happens? You know, often those who, who, who know us best can hurt us the, hurt us the worst. And the, the Bible over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is talking about the prophets being ostracized and put down. Being a prophet in the Old Testament times was not easy. The Bible actually says that they were sawed in half because people just didn't like what they were saying. People are going to hate your guts as Christians and as believers. When you stand up for what is right, people just can't stand it. But Paul is saying you suffered the way they suffered. You were strong. You were courageous. You denied yourself for the betterment and the advancement of the gospel. Some of you all are going to be put in situations like that in your homes, in your families, amongst your friends where you might be ostracized for the things that you have, the convictions that you have. But in and through it all, are you being faithful? Are you being faithful? In verse number 17, as we go down, the Bible says, but since we were torn away from, from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we were still with you in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. He says, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, I want, I want to break this down for us. Is that okay? Now, he is going on, a, he's going on an excessive Words of affirmation and words of love. And all you hear is words of love just flowing out of this man called Paul, right? He's saying, man, I love you guys so much. For even though we were torn away from you, plucked away from you, snatched away from you, I endeavored to more eagerly. It's like this love letter, right? This overly love letter. He's, I'm more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Now, all he really had to say was five words, which was, we endeavored to see you. And he could have called it a verse. He didn't need to make it this confusing. Because it would, it's, it's kind of like awkward when we, when we start talking about all these words and it, it gets so romantic. It's almost embarrassing the words that he uses, right? But there is meaning behind this. The word used over there is being torn and ripped away. It's this, this idea of, of CPS coming to a home and removing a child from its parents. That's the word that's used when a parent is taken away from its child or a child is removed from its parent. That's how Paul was taken away from these people that he loved and he was ministering to. But even though he uses these excessive words, what it tells me 
is that the Christianity inside of him and the love for Christ inside of him was this love that was accepting, this love that looked at people and said, man, I really love you and I care for you. We get that, Paul, right? You want to see us so bad. Yes, I do want to see you so bad, says Paul. But you know what? Amazing leaders do that. Amazing leader. Can you remember like your favorite teacher in school? Like when you went through school, did you have a favorite teacher? None of y'all did. I did. I had a couple of teachers. Yes, no, maybe. What schools did y'all go to? I had a few decent ones. Now here's the thing. The the ones that I look at and say, hey, that was a great teacher. Now here's, here's my thing. This is the way I look at it. I don't know about you. But great teachers to me were not the ones that knew their subject material good. They were not the ones that, to me, they were not the ones that knew what they were talking about or they were in too much over their heads. They were not the ones that, you know, came in and taught the, you know, they they were not the ones. Neither were they the ones that didn't teach anything. The fun ones who just walked into class and said, all right, y'all do whatever you want. We had those characters too. Those were not the good ones. But the good ones that I can actually remember by name, the Mrs. The, the Mr. Thomas that I remember, or the Mrs. Alexander that I remember were two teachers that actually cared. Have you been there? Like, or am I the only weird one here? <laughs> I remember their names. I hardly remember any of my other teachers. But I remember them by name because they were the two people that actually cared about me. They knew my name that knew my last name, that just didn't have basic information about me, that just didn't know my number, just didn't know me by number, they knew stuff about me. They actually knew stuff. They, they were genuinely interested in me. It wasn't because they were knowledgeable or they knew stuff. It was because they were good to me. They took a few minutes after class to talk to me. They took some time to know me. They remembered my birthday. They didn't buy me a gift. I would have loved them even more if they did, but they remembered my birthday. They took a moment to ask me about my father and my mother. They remembered me sometimes, and those were the kindest of souls. And when I look back, I remember those people because of the kindness and the love that they had. Not just that, because every single time they would look at me, they would look at me and tell me that they saw potential in me. That makes the difference. That makes the whole difference in the whole wide world. It's not, I don't care if you have a PhD behind your name. I don't care if you're well-learned, if you're well-educated, all that withers away. But at the end of the day, somebody's going to remember you because you stopped, you looked them eye to eye. You sometimes went down to their level. You spoke to them like a human being, not as an object. And Paul expresses his genuine love. Do you know that the Bible prepares you for like pain? And and in a moment, you're going to see that, right? The pain that they're going through. But my question to some of y'all are like, even through what you're going through, are you being a Paul? And are you saying, man, I can confidently say that I'm being a mentor. I am available for people around me. I genuinely care. I care about investing in people around me. World changers find people to deeply invest in. They're not people that just sit back and say, I'm here to do my job and I'm leaving after that. They genuinely care. And they're like, man, if I want to turn your world upside down, I got to make sure that I leave an impression. How many impressions are you leaving every single day in your Thessalonica's church? 
Every day when you walk into work, are you leaving an impression on somebody? Are you letting them know? Are you communicating that you genuinely, truly care for them? Because when you look at them, are you looking at the creation of God? Are you looking at that? Are you looking at that person as somebody that God created? Not as a person of a particular race or a color, not, a, not, not judging them according to the way they speak or their educational qualifications, or how good they are or how bad they are, or if they're married or not, or they're single, or how many times they've been married. No, 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 none of that matters. When you look at people, how many of us can look at people and say, you are created by God Almighty, and because of that, I genuinely love you and I care for you. That's an impression that you're leaving. Just care enough. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to preach from a stage to be a person that turns your world upside down. Just be available. Care enough for people. He said, I wanted to see you, but Satan hindered me. He said, Satan came in between me. In your love and care for people, no matter how much you genuinely want to, remember that Satan is going to hinder you in that. The two commandments of Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second commandment, or the, the, the same commandment is love other people like you love yourself. Love your neighbor. And guess what? These are the two things that the enemy is going to fight you tooth and nail on. He's going to make sure that you don't fulfill these two things. And the second thing is loving other people. If he can get you from being self-obsessed, if he can get you from making sure that you are only care about you, your family, your finances, your children, he has successfully made sure that you don't love your neighbor. And, and that means not loving God. And that means not following the commandments of God. And he said, man, Satan hindered me. Do you know, like I said earlier, that the Bible prepares you for, fit, for pain and hindrances? Think about Jesus' first sermon. His first illustration ever. He talks about this farmer who goes to throw, sow seed in his farm, right? He goes in and he throws the seed out there and some of the seed go into the wayside and it, it falls on the concrete ground next to it and, and, and birds come and swoop up those seeds. And he says that the other seeds go and they're, they, they go into some kind of land and, and a little plant sprouts, but it's not enough because the soil is not good and the sun goes and kills it. And he says that there's another group of seeds that went in the ground, but it was all among the weeds, and the weeds choked it. And he said there was other seed that went into good harvest, into good soil, and they bore good fruit. You know, it's the seed of, is the word of God. And the devil is like this bird snatching the seed. The word sometimes will sink, but persecution will take it away sometimes, right? Distractions will snatch it away. Others will allow it to sink deep into their hearts and do a work inside your lives. Which group do you think you fall in when Satan hinders you? Because it's all the same seed. It's all coming from the same farmer. It's all the same word. But this morning, as I throw this word, as I throw this seed out, I'm asking what ground is this seed going to fall on this morning? Please do not allow the pain and the pleasure to pluck the word of God from your life. My question is, are you allowing the word of God to guide you and nourish you through, through pain that you're going through, through the trouble that you're going through, through the hindrances that you're going through? Haven't you seen Satan attack every single time that you try to get closer to God? He doesn't attack when you're binge watching Netflix. He doesn't attack when you're like scrolling through TikTok. 
You're not sleepy at that time, are you? It's only when you get into prayer. It's only, man, I, I, I don't have time to read the word. I don't have time to study the word. I just don't have, I don't know how you guys do it, but I just don't, I can't pray. I, I just don't have the time to pray. The enemy's goal is to distance you from your relationship with God. When, when, what happens when a worldly relationship that you're going through gets hard? You persevere. You try to work it out. Sometimes we have to decipher the, the stuff that we go through in our lives. Ask yourself, what is keeping the word away from my heart? Identify the things that snatch the word from your soul. What are the things that hinder you from experiencing the goodness of God? Paul is like, man, I was trying to love on you. I was trying to bring the gospel to you. But Satan kept hindering us. You know what? I'm going to spend a few moments on this before we close. This reminds me of the great lens at which Satan and those who follow him will go to accomplish their purpose of opposing not just the church, but every Christian that walks around us. The world will stop at nothing. It will stop at nothing to silence the voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why was Paul hindered? You might ask me, why was he, was, was he sick? Was he unable to attend? Like, had Satan struck him down? We don't know. I don't know what it is. Right? Was it persecution there in Thessalonica and the people who led it to Paul? Like, was it the people that came up to him and said, man, we dare you to return. We dare you to come back and preach the gospel. Was it them saying, we'll feed you to the lions or we'll saw you in half or we'll crucify you upside down or we'll throw you into boiling cauldron of oil? Was it all of that? Was it them looking at him and saying, we'll throw you into a dungeon or a dark prison? I don't know what it was. But Paul says, Satan hindered us. Are you identifying the things that Satan uses to hinder you in your life, in your relationship with God? You know, on full display is this master of evil watching intently the journeys and the preaching of these three humble outcast men, Paul, Timothy, and Silas. As they walk through the towns, as they go through Thessalonica, all they cared, all Satan cared about was these three men. He Satan wasn't concerned about the evil Nero or the, or, or, the, or the scrupulously, minutely, you know, uh, ostracizing mind of Tiberius. He wasn't care. He, doesn't, he didn't care about any of those people. All he cared about was three people that were trying to advance the kingdom of God. Everybody asks me, some, people ask me sometimes, why, why, why does stuff happen to me? I go to church. I do the things that God has asked me to do. I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I come worship on Sunday mornings. But my friend on the other side, man, they party all the time. They go do drugs and they, they drink alcohol and they, they're all around town painting the town red. And I'm here saying, thank you, Jesus. And all the persecution is coming at me. I'm the one that has to go through trouble. I'm the one that's going through financial hardship. What's up with this? Don't we find ourselves in situations like that? God didn't guarantee a bed of roses for all of us. When we follow him, remember that we're not promised good times. We're not promised that everything is going to go great. You know, in the 12th chapter of the second, in, in the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul actually describes a thorn of flesh. Again, I don't know what that is. No one knows exactly what that is, but, but he was afflicted and he referred to this thorn as a flesh for a mes messenger from Satan to buffet him, to, to hinder him. What are the things that you can realize in your life that hinder you from the true potential that God has called you to be?
Because in the letter to the Ephesian church, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You probably remember that verse. Because you've got to understand this, church. If your enemies were those who could lay your hands, like enemies that you could actually lay your hands on, you might take a gun and you might be ready to face that enemy. If your enemy was somebody that you could actually lay your hands on, you would double up your fist or, or pull out a knife, right? Or in some way fight and oppose. But what you do against an enemy is not flesh and blood. You don't operate. You don't fight this battle and fight this spiritual warfare in flesh and blood. But the principality and the powers of darkness that are ruling the world, that are trying to oppress you, that are trying to put you down, how do you fight it? By the spirit of the Lord how do you stand your ground by looking at the, 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 the stuff that comes against you by looking at the enemies that are trying to put you down that are trying to hinder you and saying I don't fight against flesh and blood I come with the spirit of the Lord you know the scripture is full of precedents about Satan hindering but what, what happens we talked about Job earlier this man called Job in the Old Testament was buffeted and, and beat and bruised and hurt and ruined by Satan. There was a big hindrance that we see over there. This man called Moses who stands up to lead God's people. And these two men called Janus and Jambres stood up and tries to oppose him. People try to stop him. People try to, you know, bad mouth him and drag him down. But every single time they would do that, the Bible says Moses went up to the mountain and prayed before the Lord. You don't ever see a, a situation where Moses is like, put his fists up. Half Nelson, full Nelson, no, 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 nothing of that sort. He goes up to the Lord and says, God, what do you want me to do? Sometimes it's important to look at the hindrances that come your way, to look at the things that come your way and say, you know what? It's not my, not my battle to fight. What about Nehemiah when, when God's layman, this guy that didn't know what he was doing, God talks to him, speaks to him and says, the city is in ruin. I want you to go and build the city of Jerusalem. What does he do, right? He goes, he, he labors and toils to restore the city of God. And who was there? There were two men called Sanballat and Tobiah there to hinder and buffet him. Trust me, children of God, wherever you go, it could be a workplace, it could be your family, it could be places that you're in. There are always going to be people that the enemy strategically puts to hinder you. Do you know some people are gifted in the area of hindrance? Some of them just magically appear out of nowhere in your lives. They're like, wow. You want blessing? Nope. Not today. You're already thinking about people like that in your life, right? It happens, man. There are people that strategically put, and your intentions are right. I'm here to build a wall. Oh, no, says Sanballat. Oh, no, says Tobiah. Your intentions might be pure, but my job is to buffet you. My job is to stop you. My job is to hinder you. Come on, am I talking to somebody? And this stuff can come from the weirdest of places. It can come from places that, that you least expect. Some of your family members might be that same. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, get thee behind You better understand. You better get, be, get, get behind me right now. Because anybody, anybody could be used. It was his own disciple that Jesus looked at and said, that the enemy is trying to sift you away, Peter. You might be one of my strongest of companions and friends and disciples, but even you could be used to come as a hindrance. Am I talking to somebody? You remember the adversary who stood over the manger of baby Jesus with a bloody sword? 
saying, hey, if you find him, come back to me. That was a hindrance. And then when he begins his ministry, there he was in the wilderness, tempting him three times to distract him from his commission. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus uses the word of God. He doesn't fight him. He doesn't pulsate him. He doesn't kick him, push him down. He doesn't expel him. He stands there and uses the word. This is not a flesh and blood battle. This is a word battle. I will take the word and I will stand before you. Your hindrances are not hindrances that are put in front of you so that you can fight it because all all you can do is throw punches and you're going to get tired and weary and you need a timeout. But when you step back and you say, let God do the fighting for me, it takes the pressure off your shoulders and you give it to the hands of the Lord and say, no matter who hinders me, it doesn't matter. I trust the Lord with everything I have. And throughout his ministry, it might have been attacks to the Sadducee or the Pharisee or the Herodian or the Zealot finally encompassed in his death, right? And this thing continued, the story of the infant church, right? Satan hindering it and fighting it and warring against it by fire and flame and persecution. In Acts chapter 8, does it stop there? No. When that doesn't work, remember, when one thing doesn't work, it, the enemy doesn't say, all right, I'm done, good to see you, and walk away. He's going to find other avenues to bother you. Because even for Jesus, he said, and, and, the Satan, and Satan departed for a short time. In, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says that, and Satan left him for a season. Spiritual attacks are real. Spiritual warfare is real. And when that failed in the church... When Satan failed to attack them with persecution, you know, in, in Corinthians 1 and in Galatians 1, when that failed, it's by heresy and false doctrine and false teachers and division. Trust me when I tell you this, the enemy is constantly prowling like a lion to destroy you, to look for avenues and opportunities to get back at you, to drag you down, to put you down. But the Christian that stands is a Christian that picks up the word and says, the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. Come what may against me, I will not attempt to fight this because I'm telling you something. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to tire yourself out when you get into that boxing ring with the enemy because that's what he's good at. You're not good at that. You just study up your Bible. You get into this. Every time you go through pain, get into this because if there's one thing that the enemy can't stand, it's when you start telling him the word. When you start telling him, for God told me that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, ooh, that hurts the enemy. When you start pleading the blood of Jesus over the end, come on somebody. When you start pleading the blood of Jesus over your children, when you start pleading the blood of Jesus over your job and your finances, when you just stop in your tracks, when you want to lose your cool, when you just stop and just pray for five minutes, oh man, the enemy is dissatisfied at that very moment. Am I talking to somebody this morning? Spiritual warfare is real. I'm going to repeat that for those of y'all who didn't get that. Very simple. And the statement is this. Spiritual warfare is real. Are you being sensitive to the times when you know that Satan is hindering you? When Satan is hindering your marriage? When Satan is hindering your work or your focus or your decision-making abilities? When Satan is whispering to your ear and said, drop out of school, drop out of school, drop out of school. Start a YouTube channel. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if that's what you're good at, do it. Okay, I'm encouraging you to do it. But don't do it because everyone else is doing it. 
hindrances come in different ways. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to me this morning, Satan will hinder you if you turn your face to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, how can you say that, Pastor Oshish? I'm just being truthful. If you're not a Christian and you're like, I want to know about this Jesus, I want to tell you something. The moment you say, Jesus, come into my heart, oh, the devil ain't going to like it. I say this every time and I can't stop saying it. You know when Jesus, you know what? When we invite people to church, come on, we invite you to church. We have donuts and coffee and we have a free gift. Fill out this form. All you get is a free gift. Come on, everybody. Come as you are. We love you. We accept you. You know how Jesus invited people to him? If you come and follow me, you got to carry a cross. He said, if you want to follow me, people are going to kill you. People are going to hate you. He was giving reasons for people not to follow him more than reasons to follow him. The authenticity of the word of God and this Jesus that we follow is in the fact that he looked at you and me and said, it ain't easy to follow me, but if you're willing to lay everything aside and say the burdens doesn't matter, the frailty doesn't matter, I am here to follow Jesus with everything I have, even though I have to put my life on the line, y'all, you will look at Satan hindering you and saying, you know what, it doesn't matter, bring it on, I got it all, I got the word with me, I got a spiritual family with me me. I got people that pray. I got people that fast. I got people to cover me. It doesn't matter. Bring it on because I know this battle is not flesh and blood. You could be a David in front of a Goliath, but what gives you the ability to stand your ground when giants all around you is that ability that you have prayed it up, that you were under a tree and you were singing some songs of praise to Jesus when nobody was watching. You were praying in the closet when not one soul was watching and that ability that you had to go on your knees when nobody is watching will give you the ability to stand up on your feet when everybody is watching and waiting for you to fail you will stand up and you will see the salvation of God because you have done the work in the prayer closet because spiritual warfare is real and if you're a Christian let me remind you he's going to keep coming at you Oh, I just attended fasting and prayer. I just fasted for 21 days. I'm good. No, Satan departed Jesus for a season. Don't take your good seasons for granted. Always have your guard up. Always be prayed up. Always know that no matter what the hindrance is, God gives you the ability to combat this hindrance. How do we combat this hindering? Do you fight your battles on your own? Do you try removing hindrances with your own strength? Man, sometimes you just have to give it into the hands of Jesus. You know the angels do that too? Go with me to Jude chapter, chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Verse 9. Jude verse 9. This is what the Bible says. And even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. That's amazing. Right? Michael, the, the, one of the mightiest angels, is carrying the body of, body of Moses. And the enemy comes and stands in front of him and stops him. And instead of the angel, the mighty angel, trying to fight this battle on his own, he steps aside and says, this ain't my battle to fight. God's got this. Somebody, some of us need to take some notes from Michael, the archangel. 
No, that, that coworker is not against you. That boss is not waiting for you to fail. When you start looking at everything that's going on in your life as an attack from the enemy, every single time that I have issues that's going on in my life, the first thing I look at is, Lord, give me the ability to understand if this is an attack from the enemy. What do I do? The first thing you should do is God's children must pray. You and I should pray. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, the Bible says Satan trembles when he sees the least saint down on his knees. God's people must pray. Make that journey from your knees to the floor. Every single day, make sure that's a journey that you make. The second thing that you have to do, know that Satan is defeated. Know in your heart. For sure, for a matter of fact, you need to know no matter what hindrance he is putting before you he's always hindering you from a point of defeat he's that dog that has been bitten but still keeps coming back gnarling and biting waiting to get back at you have you seen dogs fighting have you seen lions fighting animals in the wild fighting they fight, and no matter how much they're defeated, no matter how much they're bitten, they still keep coming back for more because it's an ego thing. Can I share something with you this morning? If there's nothing else you took from this, from this message this morning, take this back. You have nothing to prove to the enemy. I'm going to say that one more time. You as a Christian, as a believer have nothing, absolutely nothing to prove to the devil. The battle is won. Jesus did it all at the cross of Calvary. It was done. It was a done deal. It was sealed. It was done. It was, it was taken care on the cross of Calvary. And some of us just need to accept that and say, God, I accept that in my life. I accept that promise. I accept that in my life. I don't have to prove anything to the enemy. I just have to be sensitive. I have to be sensitive to know when that bit dog comes barking at me again. But I would approach it this time from the vantage point of I am a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I have won this battle. I have won this victory. The battle does not belong to me. The battle belongs to the Lord. And guess what? It's not an ongoing battle. The battle has already been won. You are at a vantage point. You are at a point of advantage. Stand in your point of advantage and know that Satan has been defeated. Because Luke 10 reminds you that and says, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. In John chapter 12 and verse 31, the Bible says, And now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And in Revelation 12 and verse 11, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And it says, I, I, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the keys to the bottomless pit and cast Satan and bind him for a thousand years. Can you stand up to your feet with me, church? Verse 19 and verse 20 says this, right? We're about to partake in communion in just a few minutes. In verse 19 and 20, this is what the Bible says, for this, for what 
is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? There's nothing I can boast about, but you know what? There's something I can boast about. The day Jesus comes back for his church. I have some good news for y'all. There's something that y'all can boast about on the day Jesus comes back for his church. What is that, right? Paul talks about that. And he says, is it not you? He says, that y'all are my pride. You guys are the ones that I will be proud about on that day when Jesus comes back. Paul is asking, what would be my greatest joy as I stand before the Lord Jesus? He says, it's you. He says, you are my crown, you are my joy. What does that even mean? You know, there's something about watching young people that was trained under my ministry prosper and rise up in the ministry. I look back 10 years ago or 11 years ago, back in 2010 when I was a part-time youth pastor and I was leading Bible studies and youth groups and kids in middle school and teaching them and training them. And today I've seen them all grown up and some of them are married, leading young ministries and, 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 and you know, I, I see them preaching from stages and I'm like, I know him. I know her. It's not a moment of, oh man, I'm getting older. It's a moment of joy. And I'm like, yes. You get what I'm saying? Like, don't you go to your kids' recitals and take pictures, like 100 pictures of the same person, like him playing the piano, like the same picture, like 100 times? Like, you're so proud. It's a proud moment. Your kid is like dancing and you're like a hundred pictures on your phone. You're like snapping away. It's a proud moment. I look at all these kids that I taught once upon a time and there's no jealousy, there's no envy. I'm like, I know him. I know her. I taught him Sunday school. I sat with him and I taught him about Jesus. I encouraged him. I showed him that, that this is something that he can do. And man, he's, he's there doing that right now. She's there doing that right now. It's a proud father moment for me. I know him. That, that knowledge that I help someone know Jesus. Church, when the heavens break open, who would you be happy about and delighted about is my question today. When you and I stand in front of that throne room, because you know that one day Jesus is coming back, the hope for the believer, the every single one of us that know Jesus as our personal Savior is a hope that Jesus is coming back to take us to eternity. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to be riding in on that white horse. The clouds are going to be parted. Man, when I stand in front of that judgment throne of God, waiting to receive my crown... What am I going to be proud about? Am I going to be proud? And, and Paul says, it's a moment of pride for me knowing that each one of you were people that I shared the gospel with. You are my crown. 
you are my joy. He says, the crown that I'm receiving is the crown for you. And you'll be, that, that's the crown. When God looks at me and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I can say, man, I shared the gospel with my niece. I shared the gospel with my nephew, with my children, the young people that I helped, the minds that I formed and, and developed. My thought is not what's going to go on my tombstone. I, I, I care less about that. So many people in this world live their lives thinking about what's going to be written on their tombstone. I care less. Can I tell you something? At the end of my life, I wouldn't care if I have people standing on a stage and telling good things about me or clapping for me. The only thing I care about is when I walk into that throne room of Jesus, the angels will stand and applaud and say, well done. And Jesus will look at me and say, welcome, well done. You have a crown waiting for you. And this crown represents the hundreds and the thousands of people that you shared the gospel with, that you were the hands and feet of Jesus with that people looked at you and said I saw how he lived through the suffering that he went through and because of that I came to know Jesus and my only question this morning is what is your proud pride and joy going to be on that day who would you have to account for who would you be proud to say that's my crown jewel because that's the day of reward I'm going to ask the worship team to just lead us in a few moments of worship. I'm going to come back and lead us in a time of communion. Our, we celebrate communion here once a month on the last Sunday of every month. and We take a few more minutes than our regular church service just because it's communion Sunday. But I want to spend a few moments in worship. Is that okay as we, as we just approach this time? If you're here and if you haven't given your life to Jesus, we do this so often at commission and it's because this is what our hearts are, is to, to let people know about this love of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to ask you to consider giving your life to Jesus today. Asking Jesus to be your Lord. Asking Jesus to be your King. Asking Him to be your Savior. Because one day, Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back for every person that, 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 that gave their lives to Jesus. And we will be resurrected. We will be taken up with him. And I hope that I will see you with me. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want each one of you to be left behind. I, I want us to go together, y'all. And if you don't know that Jesus personally, I want you to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to have communion, and this communion doesn't belong to our church. We don't own the Lord's table. We don't own communion. We practice what it's called an open table here. We don't judge you based on your, your religious background or your denominational background. There's only one thing that I ask of you before you approach this communion, is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you know Jesus as your personal. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.